Now, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. I met Phil Collins at the back door of, uh, I believe it was, um, uh, what's, what's the, yeah, the, the big round building in, in, in London. What's the it O2. Um, no, the, the really old building. Oh, oh, the, uh, Royal Albert Hall. Yes. Yeah, the Royal Albert yeah. Hall. And, um, uh, Phil Collins just happened to be at the backstage door, uh, when I, uh, when I walked in and he happened to be one of the first letters that I opened a letter of encouragement while I was actually still in hospital in 1985. Wow. So, wow. So if you get to see him, yeah. please, uh, please send him my love and regards. Absolutely. Do you remember, do you remember what he said in the letter? Uh, ju just, you know, just incredible words of encouragement. I mean, there were hundreds of thousands of letters. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. his stood out because, you know, he obviously knew what it would be like or he had an inkling of what it would be like to be a drummer and to be involved in something so horrific right. so it just meant that much more hmm. hey can I'm i just ask you real that. quick about uh sorry john i'm gonna cut you off a second but yeah go ahead the guys in the band phil and joe and stuff they could have just changed drummers they could have but they stuck with you and in this industry people get cast aside for all kinds of nonsense but they stuck with you 40 years later, how important is that, that your, 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 your confrère, your brothers said, nope, you're our drummer, we're going to stick with you? Because that, that's well, sensational. Well, the, the, way, the way it went was, you know, I got out of hospital within a month and um, I spent a couple of weeks at home. Um, there was never any talk of any kind of therapy or anything like that. You know, at 21 years old, I, 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 that wasn't what I signed up for. I was still full of beans and, you know, ready to go. Um, and, and I think the thing that the guys did for me, which was really, which took the pressure off, was they gave me time to make the decision whether I wanted to move forward or not. And, mm -hmm. and, and that was... That was that was really the the sort of you know the crux of what of what I was dealing with was you know did I just want to disappear and 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 sort of blend into the scenery or or, or did I want to you know go on and um, you know love of family love of people all over the planet. I really, I really just discovered uh, the the power of the human spirit, and that, and that's what really catapulted me into you know where I am now. Right. I want to I want to play you a clip for a second because we're on the topic, and I want to get your thoughts on this. This is a bit of a throwback clip, and let me know what you think if it plays. Of course, it's not going to play now. Hold on. Hold on one second. Well, while it plays, there we go. Hold on a second, because I, I, I found this vintage clip online and I wanted to know, you know, when was the last time you saw this and, you know, kind of how true is it? It's a clip of Mutt he was talking. Actually, I could see that he was really down. I mean, he was uh, he, he was trying to keep a pretty, pretty brave face, but he was prostrate. I mean, really prostrate at that point, not knowing which limbs were going to work at all. And then I just mentioned to him that, uh, that he could conceivably, if he could get his right hand to work again, 
he could actually play the drums by repeating the sounds on the top and the bottom. And he then, as he lay there, he, he started just doing that thing with his limbs. And I could actually see almost the light shine, you know, in, in his eyes, in terms of that. He thought, yeah, that's actually the one way out of it, you know. And literally from that day on, in my perception, the few times I saw him, he had a cause. And then I actually mentioned it to the band. And I said to, to Peter Manchin, I said, Rick really could play. You know, if, if, if he, if, it's just going to take time. We were going to record the album, so he had a lot of recuperative time. And of course, no, nobody was discounting that, but in the back of everyone's minds, they weren't quite ready to believe it. Yeah. And I can see you smiling and nodding and hearing that. I mean, no, that's I so cool because I just discovered that interview uh, two days ago, and and Mutt never gives interviews. No. Um, I know we've tried. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, so <laughs> the fact that he uh, he he was talking about it the way that he was, and I I, I remember uh, the meeting we had. He came to see me in hospital, mm. and uh, actually. You know, the hospital's idea of vegetarian food was just kind of take the meat off, you know. <laughs> and he came in and he said, he said, you know, Rick, we need to get you some real food. And he actually got this uh, this uh, Harry Krishna couple to come up from Watford. And um, they came to the hospital and they started cooking for me. It was fantastic because the entire Hospital ward smell like an Indian restaurant. It was brilliant. Wow. And um that that was that was a huge step in the right direction toward uh, my recovery. And uh, Mutt was very instrumental in making that uh, in making that happen. So I'm I'm eternally grateful eternally grateful to uh, Mutt for doing that. And yes, um I I, I remember that conversation and 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 i i do remember that aha moment where the light bulb went on and 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 i realized that uh, that yes i can do this so uh and that's the power of the human spirit yeah it's it's so incredible i mean just hearing him talk about it and i mean like i can only imagine what was going through in your mind at the time it's like whether a lot whether or not you're even going to live but it's like i'm sure playing drums that was you know not at the so forefront <laughs> No, of, no, of your not, 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 not at all. As I said, you know, I, you know, uh, having been in a coma for a couple of three weeks and during that time, you know, they put my arm back on and then took it off all during that same that same time period and me not knowing a thing about it. So, you know, when I came around and, and, and started to get an idea of what had actually happened to me, um uh, uh, i remember at a certain point i was like i don't want to do this i, I felt way too self-conscious um i i just uh, i felt completely defeated and then you know i uh i guess i woke up in, in a way that 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 uh, that allowed me to see past uh you know the situation i found myself in and and then once I started uh, actually playing drums again, um, I got it, and 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 I realized that I I could uh, I could actually do this, and uh, Mutt recognized that. Talking about Mutt Lang, I've always been curious about this. I mean, 
You know, at this point, uh, I've done really in-depth interviews with Phil and Joe talking about recording hysteria and the techniques that were used, you know, with the Synclaviers and the Fairlights and the Rockmans and all this and all that. I've always wanted to know, when you guys were recording those records, when Mutt and Mike Shipley were putting together the drum samples and all this and all that, yeah. did you have any say in the tone of your drums on those records? Yeah, because I had to tune them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I got very good at. Uh, yeah. yeah, so what we would do is we would actually create sounds that were larger than life. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, for instance, a snare drum wouldn't necessarily be a single snare drum sample. It would be several snare drum samples. And depending on what type of song, uh, we would add... Uh, uh, hand clap sounds and all these different things that created this push and pull sort of motion as the as the song evolved. Um, right, a song like "Women" or "Pour Some Sugar on Me." Um, so, so yes, the 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 the, the sounds themselves were quite were quite complex, um, but they 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 kind of evolved over the 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 period of time that we spent, you know, recording the records. And, and, and by the time we got to uh, mixing, you know, we, we had sounds that were just monstrous. Right. Yeah, because I'm a bit of a recording nut. And like those records I've listened to top to bottom more than any other. And I remember reading an interview with Mike Shipley where he's talking about how you guys had like, you know, like eight different snare drums in the studio and sampling them, trying to get like the right tone and different tunings. And you had like a black beauty in there. But then like the, the actual sound that ended up on the record was like, a stack of seven different sounds put together kind of thing. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's, it's, it's true. Um, Mike was very innovative, but but really taking his cues from uh, Mutt Lang, who, who obviously heard something in his head and sometimes couldn't quite convey it until he heard it. So we would go around the houses so many times, you know, with different sounds uh, until we found something that, 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 you know, it was his sort of aha moment, you know? Yeah. So that's what I mean, though. It's like when you listen to those drums, it's like, did you sit there and like, uh, maybe it's a little too cannonball-y or <laughs> maybe we should dial back the reverb a bit or, or you were like, oh, that sounds freaking amazing. We're, we're doing that. I mean, it all sounded great to me, you know, as we were yeah. going through it. But then it became really obvious as, as, we, as we lived with those sounds uh, what what combinations worked for what type of songs? Right. Yeah, because like you said, you listen to women, and you know, like the like the the main driving snare in the verse is the big, you know, spread clap sound, and then in the chorus, you know, it's a little bit more contained to fit into the there mix. And yeah, yeah, it's interesting how you guys were even able to pull that off. I mean, with the technology and everything, it's it sounds to me, it sounds incredible to this day because that's what everybody's pop records sound like. You know, it's it's true. But, you know, back in the day, you know, we were using tape. And I remember, you know, before you make slave reels, um, some some of the tapes have been they've been over or gone over so many times because of overdubs that you could actually see through the tape. <laughs> they just deteriorated so yeah, much. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. That's incredible. And then just to talk about, you know, like the recording of the drums and stuff like that. I mean, were you sitting there and Mutt was telling you, like, okay, you need to be a little bit more tighter on the hi-hat. Like, what kind of direction would Mutt give you in the studio performance-wise? Um, 
again, it, it would depend on the song. Um, uh, sometimes we lean heavier on electronics and then other times it would be, you know, me sitting behind uh, a, a drum kit would say just the cymbal set up and, yeah. you know, playing, playing along to uh, uh, stuff that I'd either recorded or programmed. So it, it, it was really dependent on what type of song we were playing and, um, you know, and, th and that would determine, you know, which direction we went. Yeah. Was there was there ever any like full like one take performances on the record or was it like a hi-hat section and then you'd sit behind the cymbal kit and just hit the cymbals or? That's that's pretty unheard of with Mutt especially, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it was like take after take after take after take after take. I mean, literally, you know, sometimes one section would take us, you know, a whole afternoon or a whole day, uh, depending depending on on how how much importance we put on on that particular uh, on that particular song you know how how hooky we wanted the thing to be mm. yeah but even that i mean if you're sitting behind your hi-hat and then he goes like oh uh you know i think you were a little late on the end of the three we need to do that again like, yes that, that happened many times and uh, there were many drumsticks thrown across the studio yes i'm not very <laughs> proud of that but uh Wait, you know it, it, it happens, you know, I, w I was learning new things about myself um, and, and, and he was obviously pushing the limitations of, of, uh, of, of my ability. So it, it was kind of a it was kind of a, a learning curve every single day that I went in there. Yeah. You, you just had some art shows in New Jersey. I heard they went really well. I got new ones in Atlanta on December 11th and 12th. And of course, the uh, big charity auction for Raven Drum just wrapped up last night. I was bidding on the Joey Kramer snare drum and somebody outbid me with like one minute left. And I didn't get the email in time. <laughs> no, I, you know what? I, I, uh, I was really happy. It's interesting. I discovered a support system within the drumming community. Mm -hmm. that I never really knew that I had. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I reached out to, you know, people that I knew, uh, Todd Sushiman being one of those people. Um, Sticks. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and just, you know, Todd was, he's one of those guys that he's always supportive of me. And he just immediately said yes. But then as, as time went on, uh, modern drama started helping me uh, look for, you know, look for people. And um, I've actually become really close with some of the coolest, coolest drummers on the planet. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I, I, I feel as though I have this support system um, that just, uh, they love me, you know? And I, I was like, wow. Well, how could they not? Come on. This is crazy, you know. Um, I, I guess you know when you're as busy as I am, you know, you, you, you just uh, you you never really get the time to to sort of sit back and 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 enjoy that part of uh, the industry, the camaraderie. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, we're in different times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so I've discovered all these dramas that. You know, I can literally pick up the phone or text them or it, it's fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I've uh, I'm very blessed.
Listen, for the next one, if you get anything from Alex Van Halen, you will have my credit card number immediately. So. <laughs> <laughs> it just so happens. Well, <laughs> you're going to like this, Jeremy. I was talking to Steve Brown the other day, and he goes, oh, I just got off the phone with Alex Van Halen. I was like, oh, damn. What? Can I be? Can I be you? Can I be you for a minute? Yeah. So, yeah. and by the way, uh, we love Steve. He's of course done a few uh, gigs with uh, Def Leppard. Yeah. You yeah. gotta love the guy. He's one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. No, it's 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 really no? cool. I love I love the fact that he not only did he step up uh, for Vivian, yeah, uh, but then um, for Phil you know, when his wife yeah, had his her I mean, thing. Yeah, yeah and, and that was really touch and go, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, the fact that he's played, uh, he's played on both sides of the stage, and uh, and and done it quite convincingly, I might add. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I I really appreciate him. Yeah. yeah, tip of the hat. Uh, in terms of the art, tell me about the process because you know, creatively, when you write a song or you do a drum part. That's sort of one part of the creative mind. Talk to me about the creative mind that goes into the art. Where does the concept come from? How do you get it onto canvas or onto, you know, onto a visual display? What's the process that you go through? Cool. Well, with the Legends series, you know, it, it, it's really me paying homage to all the people in, that inspired me growing up. And I dare say that, you know, if it wasn't for a lot of these, uh, these incredible uh, legends, uh, musicians, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. I wouldn't be, you know, playing music at the level I am. Um, and from that point, you know, um, like with Eddie Van Halen, we lost him. Um, mm -hmm. It Tragic, was really yeah. paying homage to his family and to the millions of fans, you know, worldwide. And, you know, the fact that, you know, I was also really, really affected by him in terms of his guitar playing. Uh, so it was a massive loss. Um, and then I, I, I just kind of dug around and, and, and found, a, found an image that I really liked, a photograph that I really liked, that really, really just captured that, that infectious smile. You know, yeah. when he was on stage. And there's so many great photos that you could choose from. And that art piece that you did was phenomenal. I mean, no, it's great. I, it was the yeah. smile. It was, it was, it was him in his element. And, and from that point, I take the photograph and then I posterize it. Right. And that's the easiest way for me to sketch um, that onto canvas. Uh, for instance, if you look at a lot of the legends pieces that I do, or all of them, when you look closely at, uh, at the piece, um, the, the, the shapes, they look like geometric shapes and they don't particularly make any sense. But then when you step back, um, your mind fills in the blanks. And I kind of right. got that from, you know, Salvador Dali, he, he did that really successfully where, you know, you could look at the piece close up and it was one thing and then you stood back or squinted your eyes and right. then it became something completely different. So well, another great artist was uh, George Seurat with pointillism. I mean, you look at Sunday afternoon on the island of La Granja, and it's like up close, it's just dots on a, on canvas. But then you stand ten feet away, and it's this incredible mural. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that's really the, the 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 trick, as it were, is 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 allowing your mind to fill in all the blanks and. Yeah. Uh, 
and that that's that's the one the one technique that I I you know I've started to really uh, perfect. Um, so you know from that point you know I'll create a grayscale. I'll create you know blacks, whites, grays. Normally break the grays out into light and dark grays, and and then a piece like Jimi Hendrix. It was obvious it needs purple. You know. Yeah. So at that point, you know, the acrylic paint really, really comes in handy where you, you know, you create, you create color that conjures up uh, the right, the right sort of mood for, you know, the artist that you're painting. Mm -hmm. So are you sitting there with your easel and you're, you're mixing your, your colors and everything? It's, it's funny because I studied creative arts in college and I hated it. I think it's because of my teacher, but you talking about it is way more interesting. <laughs> Well, I, I, I wasn't formally trained. So, you know, the few things that I picked up along the way, um, you know, they, they, they've served me really well. Um, yeah. So, so. So like that yeah, piece, for example, you're talking about those when it comes to realism, forget it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, that's what I mean. It's like you look at your St. Charlie there and it's like it's brilliant. I mean, you know, you look at the color swells. I mean, even in the corners and the details. I mean, where yeah. do you start with that? Do you, you start with the sketch of Charlie and then come up with the concept behind or do you work back yes. to front? Yeah. That that's that's exactly, you know, really, it was it was the grayscale and just coming up with Charlie, you know, a classic. Yeah. A classic image of Charlie that, that for me, it, this conjures up uh, serenity. It, it conjures up, you know, him being content. You know, mm -hmm. um, he, he seemed like the most grounded uh, rolling stone there was. Yeah. And yeah. I just needed, I needed to capture that. And then once I got that, I kind of realized that, I wanted, uh, I wanted, uh, I wanted to conjure up him feeling content and 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 having played drums with the Rolling Stones for you know fifty odd years or whatever. Um, his job was done, and he did it really well, and he was happy moving on to the next part of his journey, and and that that was really you know the whole blue in the corner. To me, it conjures up uh, the earthly plane, right. and then you know this sort of portal, this this sort of this uh, halo effect. You know, I wanted him to be kind of, you know, moving on from the earthly plane and then heading off on his on his, on his journey to go play with the big rock band in the sky. Yeah. Well, I was going to say it almost looks like he's hitting light speed in the, in the Millennium <laughs> Falcon or something, you know? But, you know but, and, but that's the interesting <laughs> thing about art because I see it more as a Jesus image in a sense. I, I see Ooh. it more as a, in a religious kind of way rather than heading off into space. So it's, that, that's what, yeah. isn't that what's great, great about art and great about songs? I mean, you know, the way I take Pour Some Sugar On Me is different than the way you take it. and, and Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's what I love about art is that, you know, every, everybody has a different take on it. Everybody has a different spin on it. And uh, mm -hmm. to speak to what you just said, um, you know, I named the, the piece St. Charlie. Um, right. So, so and, and, and to most drummers, that, that's what he is. That's what he'll always be. Because, right. you know, to many of us, it's, it's the, the, the first time we really got a taste of, of rock music and a rock drama yeah absolutely um, yeah let me ask you about about where the art started from because you look at 
you know, Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, uh, John Waite, so many, they all draw on the side and they paint on the side. And is that something that you grew up with in school or is it something as, as you got into Def Leppard and you just go, you know what, I need a hobby. Is this something that you comes from childhood or comes from like, listen, we're off tour. I got nothing to do. Fuck it. I'll paint. A, a bit, a bit of both really. Um, mm. I loved painting uh, when I was young because I could never get my head around around numbers properly. I think there was a bit of ADHD going on there. Creative minds um, can't yeah. do school. It's just no. I know. Weird. No, it was. It yeah. was. It was. It was really weird. Um, and, and then um, my grandfather got me my first camera when I was about seven or eight. And then, of course, you know, I I uh, I got involved with Def Leppard. I joined Def Leppard around about my fifteenth birthday, and that kind of consumed me for for you know for for many years. Um, A long time. And then, <laughs> and then my soon-to-be eleven-year-old, uh, she, uh, you know, she was born, and it wasn't long before the two of us started painting together. And it just kind of reminded me of that of that time at school where I could just lose myself in it, and 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 that coupled with this incredible opportunity to travel with Def Leppard and pretty much see every planet, or sorry, every um, every country on the planet, um, and 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 being able to take in that life experience, um, you know, not too many people get to do that, so. You know, with my my little bit of uh, uh, knowledge of, uh, of painting, and, and and then also my vast uh, life experience, yeah. um, I was able to document that in a way that um, that's become really, really, really quite rewarding as as I'm as I'm getting older. You know. Yeah, and I love that. I love that fact. Uh, just uh, I, I want to yeah. touch on one thing because you you mentioned you started with Def Leppard at fifteen and it consumed your life. And I've asked Phil this before, and I've asked Joe this before, but just quickly on that whole new wave of heavy British, uh, new wave of heavy British or heavy metal, British heavy British, metal, British. That's what I'm trying to say. The new Wob. Um, you were lumped into that with, you know, Ethel the Frog and Tigers of Pantang and all these sort of strange animal bands. And as soon as you could break out of it and go on and do photograph and food, you just went, we're out. We're, we're not those bands. Um, was that useful to be part of that movement? Did it help get Def Leppard noticed? Or was it like, oh, we got to get away from Ethel the Frog as quickly as possible? No, I, I, I think, I think uh, what you suggested, um, I, I think in terms of, you know, early days in England, I think it, it really helped us and, um, you know, it got us in front of people. Um, uh, but then, you know, when we met with Mutt Lang, um, I think he saw bigger things for Def Leppard and he mm. saw, uh, this crossover where it wasn't just, it wasn't just a rock band or it wasn't a, a metal band. It was this crossover where it didn't, only attract uh, you know guys in black t-shirts but it attracted their girlfriends yep. and, and that and that to me was the major crossover and then of course you know you add mtv to the mix and um you know I, I think i think we were up and running and 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 it became an international thing and and that was really 
I think what Mutt saw in 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 Def Leppard, he he didn't just see this this sort of local thing. He really wanted to blow the doors off and uh, and get us out there to a to a worldwide audience. Just right. just based on what though? Did 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 he just look at Joe and said, "Man, that guy can sing," or was it like, "Wow, these guys can really write songs"? Or did he look at at Pete Willis and Steve and go, "Whoa, that's a duo." Like, what was the part where he just went? This ain't a pub band. This is a Madison Square Garden band. I think he he recognized how unique uh, we were. And okay. Again, you know, I mean, not not necessarily uh, well schooled, but mm-hmm. but uh, schooled enough to come up with ideas that he thought were really, really, uh, you know, unique, uh, sellable. Right. And um, and and I think he he really saw the opportunity to uh, to play to a lot of people, and um, I think that's what Def Leppard have. You know, we're we're not necessarily uh, the greatest musicians on the planet, but uh, we're 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 a good band. You know, we we've worked at it really hard and uh, spent a lot of time. Uh, you know playing together and i think mm-hmm. to the point where when we put on a show it's really convincing right oh it's cool. and I, I, I also think that the cool thing about you know it, it's interesting you you talk to certain circles of the fandom and a lot of them you know some of them will say oh well mutt lang ruined the band he made them mm. glossy pop this and that and i completely disagree because after speaking to joe and phil on so many occasions it, they describe it as Mutt found a piece of clay that was willing to be molded into whatever it wanted to be molded into. And that's been the greatest thing about that collaboration is that you guys wanted to do everything that you did with him. Yeah. No, I, I, I think I think you're right. And, you know, for the absolute diehards, you know, whenever we do uh, smaller shows or the residency type shows in Vegas, um, you know, then we can dig deeper and, and, and play songs that we haven't played in years. Uh, but, but when you're out there, you know, playing these these large shows, um, I think I think it's 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 good to try to, you know, please as many people as possible. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, whichever way you see it from. Um, you know that that sort of comes with the with 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 the territory with 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 getting bigger. So the yeah, opportunities are there for the diehard fans, yep. but uh, but you know when when we're playing for these big audiences, it's you know it's great to be able to play popular music. I agree. Yeah. Listen, when I go, I I want to hear you know Rock Brigade and Hello Americans, but if you don't play Pour Some Sugar on Me, I'm going home pissed off. No, so, I, I agree. So, <laughs> yeah, you know whether or not you want to hear it for the hundredth time, I do. But you know, I go, oh, they didn't play Rock Brigade. Yeah, fine, but they played Poor. You know, I, I get it. I mean, you know, yeah, you got to play the game. You know, you do. It's like, yeah, it's either we either get Heaven Is or Armageddon. Which one are you going with? It's hard to choose, <laughs> but I think we're gonna go with Armageddon. <laughs> so, stand up, kick love into motion should get into the freaking set list once every like tenth show. Just yeah. you know. Rotated in. There's a there's a couple of songs that haven't really made it to the set list like ever, like Stand Up, Kick Love into Motion, or like White Lightning and all this stuff. Like 
do you think at some point you'll revisit those songs that are more B-sides and say, you know what, maybe we should do at a residency. We'll just play an entire set list of these songs that we've never played before live. Yeah, and that's, again, that's 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 the opportunity that that, that we have when, you know, you, you get a sort of a, a captive audience, as it were. Um, you can dig deeper. You can play things that aren't so well known. And, and you know that people are really going to appreciate it. So, and and as time goes on, we find that we can still dig deeper as we play uh, bigger shows and it's still totally acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if it comes off a pyromania, adrenalized hysteria, or even high and dry, chances are the people in the building will know whatever. I mean, you, you play uh, Billy's got a gun or they'll go, Oh yeah, Yeah. I remember that. You know, those albums are so massive. If I heard that reverse snare, the vroom into, you know, heaven is, I'd be like, yes, my head would explode in the arena, you know? <laughs> come on. Hey, boys, Miss Magic. Is, come on. That would be amazing. Stand up, kick live, yeah. and to Talk, move. Talking about that record, just to go back to, you know, talking about recording techniques and stuff. How difficult was it to pull off those really cool sonic textures like the reverse snare drums and all those loops that were going on? And like on Adrenalize, because you really took it up a notch. Like you listen to like Let's Get Rocked and all the reverse uh, like snares, hits, and all those things. Technically, like, how difficult was it to pull it off with the technology at the time? Well, um, you know, we we were getting into creating soundscapes uh, using using the loops, and and I think that's what kind of drove that, you know, in that direction. Um, you know, sort of the the shuffle feel on the on the percussion, or yeah, you know, uh, the the backward snare stuff, all all, all that stuff. It was just uh, it wasn't so common. Um, it, it, you know, it it tended to be quite uh, quite sort of standard, as it were. Um, would you say I, it was a bit think, more? Would you say it's a bit? It was a bit taboo though, because you listen to the other rock bands and like, okay, yeah, they had the cannonball snare here and there, the big reverb, but like, nobody really took drums to the extent that you did, and that's no. what I loved about the sound of your drums. They just sounded so unique. I think the fact that I was forced to move into electronic drums, it kind of gave me license to explore those realms. Right. Um, and, and no, nobody gave me any pushback for it because they just kind of accepted that that was part of playing electronic drums. And, right. uh, and I, I was able to access that uh, not only in the studio, but uh, do that quite easily in, in you know, in a, in a live setting. Yeah, right. By remember? the way, I'm just going to throw in one little thing about uh, Adrenalized. I was at the recording of the I Want to Touch You video. They did that in Ottawa, and it was funny because they played it, and it sounded exactly like the record Perfect. And Joe said, boy, that sounded perfect. You, you know why? Because we're taping a video, and we actually just played the album for you. But now we're going to play it again live. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I get to hear it twice. Okay. Yeah. I'll I live with totally that. Remember, that's so funny. You just jogged my memory. I remember actually yeah. doing that. It, it seemed so surreal, you know, yes. like stopping everything, uh, doing a playback, <laughs> and, 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 and then kind of segue into actually playing the song live. That was... <laughs> It was, it was pretty pretty surreal. There. And it's funny because yeah. you, you could tell that, you know, they had the live sound. And then I Want to Touch You just sounded so clean. And you just went, huh? Yeah. 
and then Wait, Joe what? says, "Oh, we're doing a video. We're and now we're gonna." And I was just like, "Oh, okay." Smoke and mirrors. Smoke and yeah. mirrors. But but you, I remember the sound being like you know you had the audience and the and then you, I want to touch you was just studio quality. And just went. Wait a minute. Yeah. Did they just lip sync? And then they went, yeah, we just lip synced. And now we're, we're going to play it again. Hey, at, least, like, oh. at least we admitted it. Most yeah. these days wouldn't even admit it. No, but it was, just, it was just great. And of course, you know, not knowing, I thought you, you do the video and it'll be on MTV tomorrow morning. And then it was like nine months later. We have a new single. I was like, oh, God, I thought they forgot. Finally. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> there it I didn't is. Know you were at that. You never told me that. That's yeah, hilarious. no, it was it, that was done in Ottawa on the uh, Adrenalize tour. So I saw them in Montreal like the night before, and I drove whenever they're in town. I go a hundred times, and then yeah. I went over, and it was just funny because they played that song, and I think it was like one of the first times they ever played it. I don't, I don't remember it being played in Montreal, but it was just just that that dichotomy of like live to just yeah. perfect, and you just went, hmm, That's and then so Joe. Cool. That's yeah. so cool you had that experience. Yeah, and then Joe admitted it, and then nine months later, oh, it's on TV. Oh, look at that. <laughs> so, Mitch, are you saying that them performing it live sucked and you preferred the CD version? No, no, no. I just, but you, you could tell they, they did whatever before, like whatever, let's get rock, and it had a rock sound, and it was dirty yeah. and live and gritty and sweaty. A live tone. And then I Want to Touch You was just pristine. You just went, huh, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. That's cool. That's, that's, that's cool. Nice story. Oh, that was Yesterday, a good we, uh, we we talked to another a fellow Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee drummer, Gina Shock from the Go-Go's, who just yep. got in. Oh, and fantastic. Yeah, actually, she got involved with the tail end of the 12 Drummers Drumming uh, auction that we did. Mm -hmm. and uh, Donated one of her books, right? Yeah, she's great, man. She's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I, I, wanted to see, I wanted to see more women, you know, involved in it. And it, it was so cool that we got Sheila E., yeah. Uh, she's got, great uh, yeah uh, uh, Cindy Blackman got involved so you know it, it would have been nice to have had uh, uh, more women drummers but uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad she came in right at the end that was fantastic yeah we were, we were talking about um you know the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and just to touch on that really quick I mean with your big induction a couple of years ago I, I was just wanted to know I mean how come Pete wasn't inducted into the to Hall of Fame with you guys or why well, he, he didn't was. show up yeah he was but he didn't show up we asked him, and, uh, you know, I think Joe's speech really spoke for itself in yeah. terms of anybody that was involved with Def Leppard's success along the way was mentioned in that speech. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, it was, it was interesting. I, I, I think the thing that was such a big deal for us was uh, that it was the largest fan vote in the history of the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And, and, and that, to me, spoke volumes. Um, you know, our, our audience got it. And we always felt as though we didn't get enough love from the industry itself. So, you know, standing on that stage and finally feeling the warmth of rock and roll royalty and everybody sitting in that audience, particularly, you know, our fans. Yeah. It was really emotional. I, I really, I, I lost it. You know, and it, 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 I, I couldn't help it. It was just like, wow, this is huge. You know, mm -hmm. I, I never expected it to make me feel the way that it did. But, you know, trust me, it was uh, that was real. Yeah. And it's yeah. amazing, by the way, because they took a lot of time to get to Def Leppard and to get to Bon Jovi. And they still haven't gotten to Iron Maiden. They still haven't gotten to Foreigner. And you're just like, 
come on, you're going to tell me that Iron Maiden didn't influence influence people and you know, you're going to tell me that the 80s weren't ruled by Bon Jovi and Def Leppard? Like, come on, rock and roll. No, I, Who are you kidding? I think you're right. And I think uh, um, Cliff Bernstein, who, uh, who you know, was uh, Def Leppard's manager for, for many years, and um, John Bon Jovi, uh, they're both on the board. And I, from what I can gather, they were very, very instrumental in in convincing everybody that Def Leppard should be in the of course you ruled yeah. the 80s I mean it's a no-brainer you, you can't look at the 1980s and not think Madonna U2 Def Leppard you know Motley Crue even you can't you, you no it's true it's true and I I appreciate you saying that that's cool man yeah no no I immediately think of LL Cool J and Jay Z to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> No, that, that, that's, that's true. And, and, and actually, uh, we, I think we borrowed the idea of the rhythm of Pour Some Sugar on Me from LL Cool J. Really? Yeah. Well, listen, listen, what song that could be? Well, I don't, I don't know, but I, I listen, I, I like the, the, the rappers of that day. I, you yeah. know, uh, run DMC, uh, McDaniels there. He's, he's a great, he's a great guy. Anyway. Look, but, the guy's a new addition that went in to do Belle Biv DeVoe and all that stuff. I mean, jeez, <laughs> that's the good stuff. Hey, listen, you weren't born in the 80s. This, that was all great music on TV back then. I, I love I, that stuff, man. I, yeah, I will listen too. to Billy Ocean, and I will listen to Phil Collins. and I, You know, I'm down. Give, give it all yeah, to me. Too. Me yeah, too. I mean, you know what? To me, it's all music. I, as, as a musician, I don't, I don't uh, experience genres. No. I look just experience good music and bad music and uh you know See, i won't even go there i'll just go i i experience music i like and music i don't like there you go and you know some of the music that i didn't necessarily like from back then it's funny i like it now yeah <laughs> i don't know whether yeah. it's just because it was from that time period um but you know i i I seem to like more and more music as as, as I get older. Yeah. So I guess that's yeah. a good thing. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, I have the same experience. I never bought a Tears for Fears record back in the day because it was Tears for Fears and that was the geeks and the whatever. And I bought a whole bunch of them this year because how are you going to say that everybody or shout or aren't good? They're good songs. They're fantastic. Yeah. They're really well-written songs and yeah. really well-produced. But I, I didn't get it in 1985. You know, whatever. No, no hey, you know what? Better late than never. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's, that's very true. That's like me with like Avril Lavigne and Maroon 5 when I was in elementary school. Oh, it was the biggest thing. But now I didn't love it. Now I love it. Uh, yeah, well, all right. Well, you know, I'm going to go buy a, a Billy Ocean CD later. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, actually, Mutt worked with Billy Ocean. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did a Lover Boy, man. Lover, yeah. Lover, Lover. All those there songs. That was the greatest. Yeah. Get out of my dreams. Get into my car. Caribbean cool. Queen. Come on. These are all the great stuff. And, and of course, Def Leppard. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have often said that High and Dry is my favorite Def Leppard record just because when you put it on, you just cannot stop listening to it because they, they flow so perfectly one into the other. But of course, everybody says, well, no, Hysteria is better or Pyramid. There's always that argument. Where does your heart lie in terms of, of the records? Not maybe best, but which is the one we just went, 
Yeah, you know what? That was a moment for me. That, you know, another hit and run is just fucking perfect. I know, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, there, there was for quite a while there, we would play the whole of side one. Yeah. And uh, because of the fact that everything flowed so well. Into yeah, you can't cut them up. You can't make yeah. a playlist with no, that you album. Can't. You have to. They all belong together as a collection of songs. Yeah. You know? So, so I think I think I feel the same way about that record in terms of uh, not just from a listening perspective, but from a playing perspective. Um, but I think it's true to say that you always fall in love with the record, the the latest record that you uh, that you release, and um, I, I guess. I guess it, it stands to reason because, you know, it, it's, it's the latest thing you've done and okay. you want everybody to love it as much as you do. So it tends to go that way. But then when I look back, I think one of the songs that really, really just puts a, a really fine point on everything is the song Hysteria. Mm, I think yeah. the song Hysteria for me is, is just such a, is such a beautiful song. And, and I know a, a lot of people see the, you know, the connection to a girl, but to me, it, it's more about uh, uh, being in love with a higher power, which sounds a little woo-hoo, but, mm. but that, that to me, especially having gone through what I went through making that record, yeah. that, that song just seems to put a crown on everything. Yeah, and, and Phil's right. done it with Delta oh. Deep, and you, you just know when a song's good, when other interpretations still just work. You just listen yeah. to it, you go, yep, that's still good. And yeah, it's a good that's, song. That's a good song. It, it, yeah. it just is. Yeah, for you sure. Rick, do you remember what hi-hats you used on Hysteria? <laughs> <laughs> that's, such a, that's such a geeky question. That's fantastic. <laughs> I... I, I think I I was still using the the uh, the sound edge um, the Pisces I I think so or maybe at that point I'd moved over to the equivalent of sound edge uh, with Zildjian um, but yeah I I, I kind of went I did the rounds you know with the symbols and I, I love the consistency of the Pisces symbols it was like if you broke one the new one that you bought always sounded the same. Whereas Zildjian, they have, they have their own uh, personalities. Mm. So you really have to go and listen to them and, and, and really pick them out, uh, you know, personally pick them out. You can't just send somebody to the store and, and right. say, oh, get, go get me this and, you know, expect it to sound the same. So um, I, uh, I, I love both, uh, both symbols. But uh, but I, I do find that the Zildjians tend to be a little more uh, individual. Right. Yeah. Were you were they uh, the 2002 sound edge or were they like the Roods? I used <laughs> I used the Roods uh, and they were just brutal. I think that's probably one of the reasons I can't hear very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, uh, welcome to Geek Time with Jeremy. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, listen, these are the questions that drummers always want to ask, man. <laughs> <I know. laughs> 
Well, okay, so interesting. Well, I, I was always curious about that. Well, like, what kind of hi hats are you? Because they have a set, especially after the EQ'd in the mix, it's like all that top end, like the sizzle that gets no, added. No, and, well, now you know. you're not going to lose any more sleep, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, now I, I know. know. So there was there were sound edge hi hats on hysteria. <laughs> Do you remember what symbols you what symbols you were using? All right. no, I, I, Sixteen I inch, two thousand two. No, I know. No, actually, <laughs> I think by hysteria, I I was firmly in the Zildjian camp. Um, yeah. I think with pretty much everything. Um, so uh, so yeah. Sorry to sorry to sorry, break sorry. that to you, but the, yeah. uh, the last album that you talk about, of course, was Def Leppard. Def Leppard with Man Enough, which I happen to love as a song. Um, yeah. Where are we in terms of the next new one? Because, the, you know, fan bases are like, oh, 2022. Yeah, Rick, are you done tracking the new album or you still got some overdubs Something coming well, out before the stadium the tour? No, I know. Here, here's the thing. There's always new music on the go with Def Leppard. But it, it's, just, uh, it's just whether it makes it to a, a collection. Um, but, but songs are being produced all the time, uh, particularly with, you know, the age of, of technology and not necessarily having to be in the same room as, uh, as the other person. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, I mean, obviously there's stuff that I can't talk about, right. uh, but, uh, but in the not too distant future, I'm sure people are going to get to hear new music. Is, is yeah. a collection still important though? Can you just put out like four songs and just say, here you go. I mean, do we need to still do 12 or can we just sort of say, listen, we got three. We got a stadium tour. Go enjoy these, and we'll get back to you later. You know, we go back and forth as a band all the time. You know, where we're, we're like, well, maybe we should just release a few, and yeah. and, and at least get things moving. Um, yeah. But you know, then the old school in us will be like, ah, you know, we we, you know, we've always done it that way. So you know, why 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 change now? Um, I agree. But, you know, I guess it depends how old you are. You know, uh, I, I think some, some music lovers would be happy just to, you know, just to cherry pick uh, everything and not necessarily yeah. from the same band. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I like the way you've done it because every album has been a statement. You listen to, uh, you know, Adrenalize and it's a statement of whatever, the early 90s. Yeah. You listen to Hysteria. Listen to X and it's like, you know, it's, 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 I like really X. Is. X was a fantastic record. Yeah, all those people that that slam it are just nonsense sellers because it's it's a fabulous record. It's slick, it's sugary sweet. Look, Rick was doing his best Phil run on um, Four Letter Word. I mean, what more do you want? No, it's it's it, it's it's cool, and I, I appreciate you saying that that it makes a statement because. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, I remember I remember listening to re uh, 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 remixes of of uh, you know uh, Zeppelin records yeah. and hearing hearing the songs out of order, and it threw me for a loop. It, yeah, it just didn't feel right. You know, like you 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 were describing um, uh, High and Dry, uh, oh, yeah. the the way those songs fit together perfectly um it my brain it didn't compute because i was hearing these songs out of order and for whatever reason it just didn't hit me in the same way yeah the same when i listen to adrenalize i need to hear let's get rocked into heaven and to make love like a man into tonight you know that's cool it's, yeah, it's, you, that you 
It's funny. And Adele just had Spotify change their whole thing for her new album. She had them remove the shuffle button. So you have to listen to her album in its entirety from top to bottom the way it flows. Oh, they removed it. That was yeah. Yeah, <laughs> she she had them remove it. She's like, listen, us artists, we put the we put out the record, we, we make our track listing flow in the way we want it to. We don't want you, you know, skipping going to this and that. You listen to it the way it's meant to be listened to. That's cool. That's cool. it, it is. And by yeah. the way, uh, Perfect Girl should have been on X, not Gravity. Just saying. Yes. Throwing that out there. Just, just, just gonna put that out there. Just that's all. Rick, Rick slowly realizing how crazy fans we are. I know. <laughs> oh, it's great. I love it, man. This is fantastic. Yeah, no, no, this is how. Uh, when I read up about your uh, your show, and I realized that I've 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 known you guys forever. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I was I was actually really excited to uh, to come on with you guys. Yeah. Listen, the, I went the, to the uh, I went to the rock and roll fantasy camp during the Hysteria residency in Vegas. And, oh my god! Uh, I was there. I played on stage with you, and I did the whole thing. I got to try your drum kit, which was really cool. Like you know. I Mitch, cool. yeah. Mitch, Rick, Rick is the reason for me getting yelled at so much in high school because I'm just playing with my feet, you know, one arm with the sharpie on the desk, man, doing the doing the groove. So I got behind his kit. I I was like at home. That's great. <laughs> now the uh, my my last uh, my last Rick memory was in uh, Quebec City at the Centre Vidéotron. Uh, I was hanging out with Troy Lucetta, and then afterwards, at the end of the show, we all went and stood by the buses, and it was Troy talking to Rick, and I was just sitting there going, "This works for me." <laughs> yeah fantastic yeah this oh, works for me cool. yeah that's so there cool. you go look next summer we'll uh we'll all uh have a hang it'll be fun that'll be great i look forward to that the stadium tour all right rick well listen that's this is right. awesome I... yeah good well, stuff all right say hello to uh, everyone up there and uh yeah i i just uh i really appreciate you guys and thanks for giving me the time yeah, absolutely. And thanks for giving us an hour. Sometimes it's cut and run after 15 minutes, but this is, hey, there you go. Yeah, no gatekeeper listening in, telling us to shut up. It was, no, great. it's cool. Just make me sound make me sound great. Make me sound clever. Oh, and, that's not uh, hard to do. And, Come and on. You've got plenty of material there. Yeah, Thank absolutely. <laughs> Merci all right, Rick, uh, you, you've said it all. Anything else? Uh, anything else before we go? No, I'm I'm just uh, I'm I'm just looking forward to a a, a nice day here in uh, Central California. All right, awesome. and I'm looking forward to seeing Phil Collins because yeah, that's Genesis tonight. That'll be fun. That'll be great. That'll be really cool. I I am a little envious of the fact that you're gonna do go do that. That's great. Yeah, it's it's a show worth seeing. Anyway, thank you, thank you, sir. Merci bien, as we say in Montreal. Bonsoir. All right, thanks, Oh hey, wait, wait, wow. Rick, Rick, before you go, um wow. it's my it's my mom's birthday today and she's a huge fan. Well, so now, would it be too much to ask you to say like a quick happy birthday to Tracy? Oh, of course. <laughs> hey, cool. Happy birthday, Tracy. And you have a fantastic son. <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna love that. <laughs> That's right. Give him more in the will. Up the percentage. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. All right, thank you sir thanks Glad a lot we'll see you later cheers all right cheers all right Bye. that was great